Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. John 15. That is going to be our central scripture for the next several weeks, maybe six weeks. Uh, And I love this passage, and I'm so excited to do the deep dive into it with you. And before we dive, though, I just want to ask a quick question. How many of you are happy to be here today? Come on, right? Me too. I'm so happy to be here with you. And uh, for those of you in the room, for those of you watching online, listening online, greetings to all of you. I'm so happy that you're here. You know, we've been, ha- we've been in a really great season as a church. Uh, we've been having so much to celebrate these days. As you all know, two weeks ago we celebrated 10 years, which we haven't even talked about how great that day was. It was amazing. We had such a fun day. You guys agree? Wasn't that a fun day two weeks ago <laughs> celebrating 10? And we've been, a few of you thought it was awesome. The rest of us, eh. uh, we've, it's been exciting just to see God move, right? We've been, we've been moving in prayer. We've been leaning into prayer. We've been building this fire in this church. I believe God's been raising the spiritual temperature in our church. There's been a lot happening in the last few months. And, you know, last week was Easter, and, and, and it was an amazing day. And it's always an amazing day to come together and to really uh, come into the power and to the love of God when we celebrate. And, in fact, last Sunday was the largest OKC community gathering ever. We, uh, we had over 700 people here, another 100 online. Yeah. And, you know... It's not, I don't, we don't celebrate just the numbers, right? We celebrate the story that's happening because there is a, numbers don't lie, there's a story happening behind what is going on in this place and it is God moving in and through people. And so uh, just one more little plug, I cannot emphasize enough baptism in two weeks. If you've never given, uh, if you've never been baptized but you've given your life to Jesus, I can't, I can't tell you enough. Like what are you waiting on? Like this is the time. Uh, step in and, and do what Jesus has called you to do. And so that's happening in two weeks. Well, today we start a new series. And by the reading that Sabrina did, you could probably guess just by the, the word, right? The, the, the word we are choosing, as you see on the screen, is abide. This is the name of the series. Everyone say abide. abide. Well, we started 2023 as a church asking a question. What if we surrendered this year to him? What if 2023 was all for you. Like we started that year doing that, kind of utilizing this imagery, this illustration of building a fire together. And we're continuing that idea through this series with a different picture. It's a picture that's just as powerful and just as necessary as building a fire in our hearts. And it's this picture that is provided in the scriptures of a garden that has a vine dresser and a vine and branches and fruit. And we're not allowed, and we're gonna allow this other biblical image to sort of continue where we started, this idea of surrendering it all to God. Like, God, we want to surrender it all to you. When Christy and I were first married, uh, we, the house we lived in had an actual grapevine on the back porch. And it was actually pretty cool because it kind of created this whole wall, like a vine wall that kind of boxed our porch in. And the vine had been there a long time. It, and it had grown pretty large and and uh, I would sometimes have Christy go to the other side of the vine and talk to me so I could say, I heard it through the grapevine. It was really, <laughs> sorry, three minutes in, got a lot of bad jokes coming at you, but thank you for laughing. Um, but seriously though, every year this vine would produce a crop of grapes and just as the illustration that Jesus gives, like every branch and every leaf that covered this, in, er, this entire wall on our back porch, like it was all connected to a central vine. 
the, there was one vine that went down into the ground, and that, that vine is where all the nutrients and the water and everything that gave life to all the branches and the leaves and eventually created the fruit was all as a result of the central vine. And, you know, as we look at this series, I mean, even this, this line we have on the screen, we call this kind of our subtext or our tagline, abide in a world bent on anything else. In a world bent on, in a culture built on anything. We live in a culture that struggles with the concept of abiding. In fact, the culture is bent in the direction opposite of abiding. Our society struggles with this illustration that all these branches, these leaves, all the fruit that's created, like that it's all connected to a, to a, excuse me, to a vine. Like we struggle with that concept because we love to be self-made. We love to be self-sufficient. And so the idea that we'd be dependent on something else to give us life, that's a struggle for most people in society. Even as believers who are familiar with this passage, we struggle in and out of what abiding really looks like. But there's this great picture, right, in John 15. It's a powerful image of the connection that believers are to have with Jesus, highlighted in verse 5. I'll put this on screen. He says, I am the vine, you are the what? Branches. Branches. Whoever abides, everyone say abide. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I'm sure most of us have a basic understanding of what the word abide means, but for the sake of clarity, let's define it, shall we? You can go to the next slide. Abide in the original Hebrew is this word yashab. You see how it's pronounced there? Yashab. Everybody say yashab. Yashab, yashab means to remain, to dwell, to sit, to stay, to be inhabited. So is the word abide or to abode, to live. So I don't abide in a lot of things in life, right? If you really take the, the full definition of this, life, of this word, like I abide in my marriage, I abide in my love for my family, I abode, so to speak, in my house on Northwest 26th Street in Oklahoma City, that's my humble abode, right? And, and then even in my relationship with Jesus, in my faith, I am propelled, I am asked, I am called to abide in my relationship with Jesus. But like I said, even if we understand the concept of abide, it is not a societal norm. In fact, I would say we live in an anti-abide culture. Everyone say anti-abide. Anti yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I, have a, I have a dog, and his name is Brody. Let me show you Brody. <laughs> he is six pounds, so he's a tiny guy, and he's awesome. He's actually really cute, right? He's a cute dog. Uh, but he's sort of dumb. <laughs> he's smart in some ways, but he's dumb in other ways. Anybody know someone like that? <laughs> Don't look at them now. That would be rude. Right? Now, we tolerate that Brody is sort of dumb because he's just so darn cute, right? Yeah, we know people that get away with that, too. <laughs> so one of the things that Brody will not do is when I tell him to stay, he will not stay. Now, in his defense, we didn't really spend a lot of time training him when he was younger. And what I mean by many, much time is any time, like zero time training this dog. Unless you count the one time, the one time we went to a class at a dog obedience school. Anybody ever been to a dog obedience school? Really? Not that many. What were we doing? 
all these people, they never do it either. So we went to this dog obedience school, and they, they, we went, it was in Oklahoma City, and, and like the people who worked there were wearing uniforms, which, that was a little much. <laughs> but there's like, you know, the training arena, there's like an obstacle course training thing. And, and so I walk in with little Brody, and then for the first three minutes, I think, we are literally going to have the greatest trained dog in the history of all dogs. Then we proceeded with the class, and these people are serious, serious. And I was, I, after one class, I decided that they were not training dogs. They were training me. They were training people who had dogs. And I immediately thought, I am not paying you to train me. Because the lot of homework they gave me after I left that class was insane. And I thought, I am okay with a dumb dog. I will let this dog be dumb. I'm not going to pay you to train me. All that to say, there are, are y'all with me? Come on, man. Ain't nobody got time for that. Come on. All that to say, there are times I do want Brody to do what I say. Right? When I say Brody sit, Brody sit down, he will typically at that point get up and walk over to me. Sometimes I'll say, Brody, stay, stay, right? You ever doing that? I think he thought I said play because he'll go and get his dog toys at that point. We have a problem. And here's the deal. Brody has no concept of what it means to yashab. No concept of what it means to remain or sit or stay. But he does strangely know the word treat. <laughs> I think dogs are smarter than we give them credit. They have selective hearing, right? But I do call him a dumb dog, dumb dog, but the truth is he's actually pretty smart. But he's never been taught, this to be fair to him, how to stay, how to sit, or how to remain. That is our society. Many of us have never been taught what it really means to abide in Christ. Now, we may have some measure of a concept about what it means to abide. But instead of learning how to really abide, most of us are learning how to navigate the world's current and the direction it moves. And I've already established, or at least I've already declared, maybe I haven't established quite yet, that the current of the world is an anti-abide culture. And the idea of staying and remaining and dwelling... It's not what people do. And the facts and the stats all back this up, by the way. You know, for example, people are moving homes like never before right now. Um, no one likes to abode too long. There's a lot of reboding, not a lot of aboding. <laughs> Today's generation of 20-somethings, which I know there's many of you in the room that fit that, are moving on average one time per year, 10 times during their 20s. Another simple everyday example of the struggle for us to learn how to abide is people are reading less these days, less and less. Slowing down to do something like reading is being, is being uh, a difficult practice for a lot of people in our culture. So on average, 15 to 44-year-olds read less than 10 minutes a day now, trading reading for watching, of course. Around two-thirds of the books that we start are never finished, surprise, surprise, right? Often I ask people questions about chapter nine and 10 of my book just to see. 
how that's going. So you'll never know if I've asked you questions and I go, ah, okay, I'm just kidding. Our attention spans are scattered, right? People are changing jobs more than ever. 65% of Americans want to change their jobs right now, and they are actively looking. Of course, last year, our nation saw what we became known as the Great Resignation, where we saw more people change jobs in one year than any other year previously. And currently, the 20-somethings, once again, in America, on average, have seven different jobs during the decade of the 20s. Now, I totally believe that there, is a certain, uh, there are certain times that we have to make changes. So I'm not saying or, or advocating for never changing your job or never moving your home. No, those things can be and often are really good things for us, but the increasing rates of those examples are just signs that our culture is bending more and more to the idea of something is wrong with us if we aren't uprooting and changing routinely in our life. The culture is practicing and promoting that if you get slightly bored or frustrated, or if you think there is something greener on the other side of the fence, right? then you should abandon ship as soon as possible. Society pressures us to move, to move on and to move fast to the latest thing and to the next thing, discarding jobs, homes, relationships, churches, commitments, friendships, easily and without a second thought. So even if you're a believer and you love Jesus and you are familiar with this passage in John 15 and you too are also experiencing this cultural current that seems to prefer abandon over abide, decommit over commit, and run rather than remain. So again, this picture that Jesus gives us, it's, it's, it's not one that he's trying to make a cultural commentary, but he's trying to say, listen, my relationship with you is going to be different than everything else you do in life. John 15.1 says it this way. So let's just think about this illustration. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So the teaching illustration is this, right? The vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is the father, meaning the gardener, right? Our father in heaven. He owns the vineyard, takes, uh, the vineyard, takes care of the garden, the branch is you and me. Those are the branches. Specifically, Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage. And we'll talk more about when Jesus is talking in John 15, what's going on around the context of this in the coming weeks. But he's talking to his disciples, which in essence means he's talking to believers. This isn't, this isn't a commentary on how to get saved. This is a commentary on how to bear fruit, which I think often gets misinterpreted when people are saying, oh, he throws all the branches away and they're burned. Like there's something else going on because he's talking to believers here. Now, the fruit is the outcome. It's abiding in Christ, right? It's the, the, the result of remaining in the vine will be to bear much fruit. So Jesus, once again, in all of his brilliance, provides a simple enough illustration that we can grasp it without a lot of complexity, yet it's deep enough and rich enough that we can marvel at it and that scholars and theologians have been trying to unpack its meaning for 2,000 years. So the Father planted Jesus in the world to be the source of all life. Those who would connect themselves to Jesus would not only find life, but as we abide in him, we would bear much fruit. 
And we all want to bear fruit, specifically fruit that lasts. How many of you guys, we'll take it back to the surface level here. How many of you guys like fruit? Anybody like fruit? If you're not raising your hand, you should. It's biblical. <laughs> right? What about grapes? Grape fans, raise your hand. AKA, this is code for I like wine. Right? We know who the wine drinkers are now. Right, Angie? <laughs> I was kidding. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> uh, I have a photo of some fruit. Yeah, doesn't, those, doesn't that look just so good? Delicioso, right? Uh, fruit is amazing, isn't it? It's like it's not there, and then all of a sudden it's there. It's like, oh, you cut me off? Don't worry, I'll be back next year. And whenever you're, like, taking fruit, sometimes it's like, oh, like, it's there all of a sudden, and then it's gone really quickly, and God's like, yeah, give me the fruit, I'll make the wine, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, is all the fruit gone? And then the vine dresser, the, the father's like, oh, don't worry about it. If, if you just abide in the vine, it will come back next year. See, fruit is God's promise and his way of saying there's more coming. And the longer you abide and the more you are pruned, the more you're going to experience. And when I say that, like, it seems very simple, but there is something about fruit that fruit is not a machine. It's not a formula that you can speed up. There's something about it that is truly a picture of how God works in our life. In a few weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about the fruit. We'll talk a little bit more about the branch. I'm going to do a message called Life on the Branch. I think that's the working title. What do you guys, you guys like that? Life on the Branch. We're going to talk about that because life on a branch is difficult. Some things get thrown out. Some things get pruned. And we probably are like, um, we don't always understand what that means. So we're going to talk about it. But today I want to pause on verse 4 for a moment where he says, abide in me and I in you. Everybody say, abide in me. Everybody say, and I and you. Don't those words stand out? He says, abide in me. And for, at first take, we're like, okay, I got it. I'm supposed to remain in Jesus. And then there's this next part, he says, and I in you. Right? In other words, like if I'm looking at you guys and I'm like, Charity, I'm like, Ashley, Daryl, I'm like, I'm like, Elijah. Listen, Jesus wants you to abide in him. Right? You guys got it? But I want you to hear this too, Elijah and Ashley and Daryl and Charity. I want you to also know that he, Jesus, abides in you. Like, when you kind of saying, well, okay, so Jesus, like, I'm not surprised when people say God is with me. But are you a little bit, does it feel a little different to say, but, but God abides in me? Like, there's a deeper intimacy to that, right? There's something that feels different about that. And author Graham Cook uh, he provides some language and framework for this relationship that he calls habitation and visitation, and it's super helpful. And I have a, an image here that will help us kind of talk about this a little bit. So there's sort of this relationship that we have to understand about God. And this, is, this example on screen, visitation is we climb the mountain to get to God. Then we climb back down to live life, right? It, so, so it's life kind of up and down with God. We go and meet with God, then we go and do life. And oh, by the way, sometimes we climb and God's not there because God gets the choice to show up as well. And so sometimes he's not there when we go to meet with him. And so we miss out on that meeting. And so there's this idea that in a relationship with God, we go and visit him and he visits us. 
And this is called visitation. And the theology has ties to Old Testament sort of temple regulations. God's presence resides in what's known as the Holy of Holies. And the people would show up to the temple to make sacrifices and to, and to, to worship him. And then there is even you know, one time a year that a priest would go into the Holy Holies to atone for sin. And inside of that, we, what we have is this premise that people in the Old Testament would go and visit God and God would visit us. That's the way it actually worked in the Old Testament. But, of course, through Christ, that system is gone. And through Christ, the veil to the Holy of Holies has been removed. And now we have access to God through Christ and with the Holy Spirit. And so many of us know the verse because we've said it many times or we've heard it said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, where it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? How many of you guys have heard that before, that you know that the body, your body is a temple to the, of the Holy Spirit, right? You've heard this before? Most of us have heard it, but it actually is typically misquoted and taken out of context. And most of the time what you actually hear is, hey, my body is my temple, right? My body is my temple. And, and I just want to say, no, 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 that's, that's wrong. Your body is not your temple. That's called self-worship. Um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is way different. And so you're not protecting your body as if it's your temple. You're treating your body as if it's the temple of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Small little tangent there, but needs to be said, right? So we don't need to visit God. But this is really important because I think for a lot of us, we think, well, if I don't visit God, then why do I have these encounters with the Lord? Why do I have these, these, these moments with God where it feels like there's a spiritual encounter where God shows up and his presence is there? Maybe you've heard someone tell a story sometime, and they're like, you know what, I can't explain it. It was just wild. All of a sudden, God showed up, right? And we say that, and that implies that apparently he wasn't there in one moment, and then the next moment he was. Or we might say it like, oh, uh, I had the most incredible thing happen. It was a God thing. As if some things aren't God things and other things are God things. Now, listen, I, I'm not trying to pick on our little sayings, but here's the thing that happens in this is it builds a visitation mindset. What do we do when we're looking for churches? We go and visit churches. And when we're visiting churches, the churches give us visitor cards. We're building a, a visitation culture, even unintentionally so, because when we go visit churches, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, is the presence of God in this place? But the presence of God doesn't actually inhabit a place and it inhabits a person. So if you're there and the presence of God is with you and you don't feel the presence of God when you're in that place, what does that say about you? <laughs> so we have this visitation mindset, right? So how do these special encounters, what do they mean then? Because they happen. A lot of us have had moments when God really has, it felt like, shown up or he showed off or he's done something powerful. And I prefer to think of encounters as moments of God manifesting his presence in a tangible way or imparting power or gifts. It's not visitation because the indwelling presence of God is uh, in, for those in Christ is permanent, right? In the Old Testament, it's visitation from God, but in the new covenant with Christ, you are the habitation of God. Therefore, these encounters and experiences with God are his manifestation being poured out in the atmosphere of your life. Let me explain it. Think of it like this. It's kind of like how rain works. At any one instant, the earth's atmosphere contains 37.5 million billion gallons of water vapor. Enough to cover the entire surface of the earth in an inch of water if it was instantly condensed. So essentially, 
as we live our life, we are walking through water. We are immersed in water in the form of vapor, right? And sometimes that water will manifest itself in rain. So this is God's presence, right? We are immersed in it, and sometimes we have encounters with it that become more tangible than others. So it's not like God shows up. He was always there. Sometimes he just manifests himself so we can see him better. Are you all with me? Is that helpful? He abides with you, and he abodes. Everyone say abode. Abide is to, is to stay and remain. Abode is to live. Your life is more like this house, right? And in that house, you and God live together. So to abode means to occupy, to indwell, to live together intimately. We don't abide casually. We abide with focus and passion and a sense of expectancy. In habitation, we are joyfully submitted to the values and the teachings of Jesus. This is what it means to abide. When he says, I want, if you abide in me, if you abide in my commands, he says that later. So we are under one rule, one government, meaning we're a branch and we're dependent on the vine. He's the vine. He's in control. That means we bow to his authority. We get used to his authority coming at any moment. Habitation means I'm in the house with him. He can say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and I'll hear him because I'm within close distance to him. For example, there may be times in your life when you felt kind of a sense in your heart that maybe the Lord was saying, don't do something. Flee from temptation. You know what? Get away from that. Or maybe he's saying, no, I need you to go and do that. I need to, I want, he, the Spirit's prompting you to give that or, or to go to a certain place. Like you have these prompts from the Spirit, but when you're not abiding and, and instead you're visiting, you're not quite sure if you can discern that that's the voice of the Spirit. Therefore, you don't see it or hear it as a voice with authority. Therefore, you can choose to not do it or do it because you're not necessarily listening for a habitation of understanding that the Lord is speaking and I have to, and I'm under one rule in my life. Instead, we have this mindset that, no, 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 my rule is actually kind of a dual authority. God sometimes, me sometimes. And so that was actually really good. And if you, if you need to go back and listen to it again, you can. But, um, because here's the deal. Like part of our obedience issue is that we aren't living in a habitation mindset where we're abiding in Christ, where we actually hear. Every, so here, here's how we can say it. We can say it this way. Habitation isn't actually intended to work quickly. Like if God speaks, then we listen, right? Um, I was, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I want to say. Um, proximity. We all need proximity. Everyone say, everyone say proximity. proximity. Abiding provides proximity. Think about it this way. When you live in the same house, it's easier to communicate with one another when you don't live in the same house with one another. We had some friends over to the house for dinner recently, and we took weeks to coordinate the visit. Although it was amazing and we loved the time together with our friends, visitation is much slower and more difficult than habitation. Visitation is scheduled it's limited, and it's prepared with a start and an end, and it was one meal. But habitation, I have meals with the people I live with all the time. It's lots of conversations. 
habitation allows a different type of communication. I could simply look across the room and say to one of my kids, hey, can you go let Brody out? Can you go let the dog out? And out of their deep love for me. (laughs) But also out of the obedience to their father. But also out of the fact that we have a lot of proximity and it's really easy to obey things that are in proximity to me and and to one another. They just simply get up and go let the dog out. I don't know what's going to happen when my kids move out. (laughs) I don't know who will let the dogs out. (laughs) Um, So when we say, come Holy Spirit, are we saying God's not here and we need him to show up? Is he missing? I mean, the truth is he's already here. And when we pray, come Holy Spirit, we're actually inviting him to come and take control of the circumstances. Come Holy Spirit, move, take over the room, manifest your presence. We give you authority. It's a surrendered prayer. Not an invitation. We don't need a visitation prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that says, God, we, need, we invite you to take over our life. We aren't pursuing the presence of God like it's been lost or we need him to come and visit us. We are orienting our awareness to him. It's like the song says, the old, you know, the Holy Spirit song, let us become more aware of your presence. The prayer is, God, would you increase my awareness? You ever been at home? You think you're all alone? but someone in your family is in the house, you don't know about it. So you're at home, I've done this a couple times, my wife, she thinks she's alone and then I come up behind her and I give her a little spook. I might almost get my head taken off and not a good idea. All of us have been scared at some point where someone surprised you that you thought you were alone but you really weren't, right? And in some ways, as silly as it sounds, this is kind of how the presence of God works in habitation is because he's always kind of in the house with us but we forget. We forget, and then we're almost surprised, like, oh, my gosh, God was actually with me that whole time. Like, oh, man, like, I need to, like, there's this, there's this mindset where we think he leaves. And so we have these, God is not like, there's a powerful encounter with the presence of the Lord. And then it gets over, and he's like, all right, guys, I'll see you later. I'm going back to heaven. Call me when the next night of worship show coming. I'll be there. Like, that's not the way it works. We are the habitation of God. He, not only are we supposed to abide in him, which doesn't just translate as, am I supposed to just follow his word and read his Bible and get in the Bible every day and, 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 and obey his commands, although that's part of it. It's a personal relationship in which I abode with him. I live with him. I stay with him. If you are in Christ, he abides in you. He remains, he stays, he sits, he dwells, he inhabits you. He wants the kind of relationship where he can sit on the couch with you And when he speaks, you'll actually hear him because he's in proximity with you. You don't have to schedule a visit with him on Sunday or in the prayer room. Like, he's with you all the time. Although those things are great. The gathering of believers is important. Not because this is where God's presence resides. It's because, first of all, his presence is where we are. But God uses prayer rooms and Sunday gatherings and nights of worship 
to do something specific. He is orienting our minds and our hearts to become more aware of his presence. So in John 15, 4, when he says, abide in me and I in you, the message version of it says it this way, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. You know, one of the tasks that I do a little bit more than other tasks at my house is I do the dishes at least a little bit more than my fair share. <laughs> Listen, I'm not good at cooking, so I might as well do the dishes, right? A lot of times there are dishes, especially when they're pots and pans, they're too big to go in the dishwasher, right? And so you have to wash those by hand. And every once in a while, you know, if they've been sitting in the sink a little too long, the crusty stuff on the dishes, like if you're just trying to run the water over it and get it off, it doesn't come off, does it? Like, but how many of you know, like, if you, if you, if you run some hot water in the sink, put a little soap in it, and put the pot immersed in the water, are you all with me? And you let it sit and remain and stay and abide. Whenever you, whenever you grab that pot out a little later, like those, those crusties just slide right off. And the pot gets clean. But culture, our world is an anti-abide culture. And it is grabbing at you. And it, is, it is putting a pace on you. It is asking you to, to experience things and do things and change things and, 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 and all the values it's putting in you. It's actually telling you, you know what, just run a little God over your life. Just turn the faucet on, run a little God over, and then move on. That, that, that is the culture we live in, where we think we can just visit God with a little faucet turn on, turn it off, and move on with life, but we're not getting clean. It's not working. Because we aren't understanding that, no, God wants to learn us to learn how to soak in his presence. God wants us to learn how to sit in his presence, to stay with him a while, to remain and to abide in him. It's like when I say to, when I say to my dog, like, we, he wants us to learn how to stay, <laughs> stay. But most of us, aren't, we are not learning how to stay. We just, I bet I can get this clean enough. That's just a little dip into church. And go right back to life. That's up and down visitation. That's just a little prayer when things are desperate. That's just a little sprinkle of my life with a little bit of God dust, and then everything's going to be fine. This is, this is the problem with believers, is that we are not learning what it means to abide. So this picture of the garden is just as important as the fire in our hearts. The fire in our hearts that we want to build the fire, we want to build the passion. That's, that's huge. Like, we need that. But it needs to feed this mindset that I... That, and then I'm not going anywhere. Because I, I said the last two weeks of our series that we just finished is so many people are quick burned for Jesus. They, they, they light up quickly and flame out just as quickly. And if we don't learn how to truly abide, that's our story. It's just one flame out after another. But abiding says, you know what? I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it to stay. I'm in it to give God authority in my life. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to say 2023 is all for you. And every year after that, and the only way I can do that is when I learn what it means to abide. Yashab, right? To stay. 
I'm going to pray for us. But he says, he is the vine. We are the branches. I'm so excited to keep digging into this picture for us. Would you stand? I actually want to pray over us. Would you allow this morning for this powerful passage to provoke something in you today? I think a lot of us, we'd probably say, you know what? Maybe a little more than I want to, I'm living under a visitation mindset. So do you struggle with how to abide? Well, God wants you to, he wants you to just uh, come to him. He wants to hear your heart today. So I'm gonna pray for us. And uh, as I pray, maybe you're just gonna start turning in your heart towards how you can begin to learn how to abide in a better way. So Heavenly Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for being the vine dresser. Thank you for Jesus, who is the vine. We ask now that as we respond today, that your Holy Spirit will take control. Come Holy Spirit, we give you this time. Help us respond to you as we surrender. We wanna give this year to you, this month to you, this week. Help us surrender so we can abide in you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team is going to be here. They'd love to pray with you. But this is a time of response. Respond to this powerful scripture. God has something for you today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.